You're listening to the Food Freedom Podcast, hosted by me, Dylan Murphy, Registered Dietitian Nutritionist. Food Freedom Podcast explores the topics of intuitive eating, mindset, and body respect to help you create a lifestyle of lasting food freedom. We believe it's possible to feel confident in your food choices and connected to your body. And here on Food Freedom Podcast, we will show you how. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist and owner of Dylan Murphy Nutrition, a nutrition coaching practice helping women make peace with food, heal their relationship with their body, and create sustainable health habits. We welcome all foods over here, from kale salads to queso and everything in between. Let's dive in. Hey, Emily, welcome to Food Freedom Podcast. Hey, Dylan, thank you so much for having me. Yes, I'm very excited for this conversation. And really, I guess for people listening, kind of how Emily and I know each other, I'm even trying to think back to like, we both were interns at Vanderbilt, but separate times. I think I was your preceptor, actually. Yeah, I was. <laughs> I forgot that. about that. Yes. And then I feel like we bonded more after that when we both kind of got into the field of eating disorders. So I'm really excited for this because I feel like you're a person for me where anytime I have a question, I'm like, let me ask Emily. I feel like she'll know an answer. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to have you on just to talk about all things um, eating disorder recovery. Yeah. Yeah. So. I'm excited. Yeah. And to start, um, for people listening who maybe don't know who you are or don't follow you on Instagram, which if you don't already follow on Instagram, follow her because she has an amazing Instagram account. Um, but yeah, tell tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are. Yeah. So my name is Emily. I'm a dietitian in the Nashville-ish area, South Nashville, really in kind of the Brentwood area. Um, I treat primarily eating disorders. I have some kind of disordered eating or some people who want to kind of make healthy lifestyle changes without a side of diet culture, but really the majority of my taste load is eating disorders. So that's really my bread and butter per se. That's what I really like to, um, that's what I really like to treat and work with, um, all different kinds of like variety. So yeah, so that's what I do. So I recently transitioned into private practice, which is super exciting. I'm doing this interview from home, which is so nice. Uh, Yes. Um, So yeah. um, Yeah, that's, that's just a little bit about me. But if you have any follow up questions about kind of how I got there or the journey or anything, I can totally fill you all in on that. Yeah, I would love to hear just a little more about maybe even what led you to become a dietitian and then kind of specifically in the field of eating disorders? Yeah. Yeah. So I, so let me see here. So I changed my major in college. Um, I was going to do physical therapy, which I didn't, I wasn't even really interested in that. I was just an athlete in high school. And so I thought that was the athletic thing to do. So I was like, yeah, physical therapy. Um, and then I was like, ah, I don't really know if that's for me. And in college, I started to have a lot of anxiety. Um, And I was diagnosed with IBS in high school, and a lot of those symptoms were exacerbated. So um, I thought about, you know, psychology for a little bit. I was like, maybe I I could do psych. Um, 
but I didn't really, you know, love the program that was available at my university. And then I said, okay, you know what, I'm going to do nutrition and I'm going to learn all about IBS and how to fix myself and all of this stuff. And that, um, yeah, that's just kind of funny thinking back on it because so much of what we know about IBS, I mean, yes, there are, you know, kind of last resort, certain diets that can be really helpful in terms of medical nutrition therapy, but so much of what I see with my clients in terms of IBS, you know, is stress related and anxiety related and really, um, a lot of times too related to lack of, um, food variety and lack of adequacy in their diets, which I did not know at the time. So I kind of decided I wanted to go and be an awesome dietitian and do all of that stuff. Um, and in the midst of that, I actually kind of just developed my own eating disorder, not kind of, I did. Um, I was really just not in a great place. I had a lot of anxiety and around food and kind of just went down a rabbit hole of trying to, you know, figure all this, all of this stuff out, had a lot of just, you know, like everyone does, um, you know, there's multiple contributing factors and all of those things. And so through the process of my own recovery journey, I was like, wow, this is so cool. Like I I really, I loved my dietitian. I'm that whole process was so life-giving and healing to me. And I was like, that's the type of dietitian I want to be. So that's really kind of a roundabout way. You know, so many of us do have some history of disordered eating or eating disorders in the field, um, Mm -hmm. which would be cool. So yeah, so that's kind of how I got into that. And then, um, did my dietetic internship at Vanderbilt, like you said, um, then kind of worked at an outpatient clinic in Nashville and then spent some time at the Renfrew Center, mm-hmm. which I cannot say enough good things about. I really, really enjoyed that experience. And so really got some training. I think one thing when I was in recovery, I was like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm in recovery. I'm going to know how to treat eating disorders. <laughs> yeah. The reality is that, you know, eating disorders are super complex and everyone has a different experience and journey. And so, you know, just if you have any young dietitians, you know, listening out there, aspiring dietitians, it's really important to get that training and supervision as well. But yeah. Yes. Yes. That's, I mean, I feel like that was something I learned very quick when I first started my practice is how even like two people with a same like presenting eating disorder can be so different. And so it's like, everyone, I mean, what you do for one person may be completely different than what you do for someone else. And the root issue behind, you know, why they develop their eating disorder may be different, um, which kind of makes, keeps our job, like keeps us on our toes, <laughs> but at the same time can be hard of like, okay, this worked for someone else. I don't know why this isn't working. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned supervision. I would love for you to touch more on that because I know we do have um, a lot of dietitians who do listen to this. And I think, I know for me, I didn't even know really what supervision was, I think, honestly, until I was in my own practice or maybe when I was like in the early stages of starting my business. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know. I can't remember where I first kind of heard of supervision. I think I had always just, as I was researching and learning about how to become a good practitioner, supervision kind of kept popping up. And so kind of right out, right out the gate at my first job outpatient, um, I was doing supervision with a dietitian. And then 
Um, when I was at Renfrew, I got supervision with the director of nutrition services. And then mm. also my direct supervisor um, has a therapist background. And so that's something that I've really valued. So we've actually, yeah. I've continued, you know, seeking out that interdisciplinary supervision. So right now I do supervision. Um, my supervisor is a certified what's the the i she's an um, IDA supervisor yes c-e-d-r-d yeah yes yes yeah so she's yeah. a certified um yeah so she's super she's my supervisor and she's so great and then i'm doing um supervision also um with my former boss who um is a therapist and she's just so so great so she really helps me kind of you know, in some of um, the more therapeutic work in terms of like nutrition counseling on, you yeah. know, what might be going on in a client's mind or how can I therapeutically say X, Y, Z, you know? So mm. I found that to be really helpful too. Yeah. Which is so important, I think, because it's easy to have the mindset and probably from someone who's not in the field of eating disorders to think like, okay, we'll just have them do X, Y, Z, eat this, eat this, blah, blah, blah. But it's so much more, like we said earlier, so much more complex than that. And you're dealing with like someone that's a lot of times very fragile when it comes to food. And so the way we, you know, speak about things and the way we use our words can be very, very impactful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And eating disorders are, you know, super complex. And we know that, you know, the development of an eating disorder is, is not anyone's fault. You yeah. know, it's, um, there's a genetic component, there's a, you know, temperamental, environmental, social, there's so many different components. Um, and so a lot of, a lot of the work that I do in the beginning, like, you know, we'd go over kind of a meal plan, maybe, or talk about, you know, some nutrition principles that could likely be helpful in a person's recovery. But a lot of it really is some of that motivational interviewing of like, man, this is really hard. Why would you even want to do it? You know, why are mm -hmm. we here? You know, why yeah. might it be beneficial in your life? You know, whether it be right now or down the road, like, you know, kind of going yeah. through like, that stuff. And I know you've probably experienced that as well. Mm. Yeah, because it's so true. I mean, I talk about that with clients all the time where it's like, you're choosing to come see me and likely see a therapist and other providers to do the really hard work to walk away from your eating disorder while at the same time your eating disorder is probably screaming at you like mm -hmm. what are you doing stop doing this so it can seem so like counterintuitive from like more of their like eating disorder voice of like why are you doing this um so talk a little more about just maybe thinking through like when someone and maybe if someone's listening who either has an eating disorder and is going through nutrition therapy and going through therapy in general, or maybe someone who wants to, or maybe feels like they need to get support from a dietitian, mm -hmm. um, but hasn't gotten that yet. Talk to me a little more just about like, and I know this is like such a loaded question, but even like what the role of like a dietitian or kind of what that like nutrition therapy, um, nutrition rehabilitation role looks like. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. And I, I guess I want to speak first to, yeah, if someone's kind of thinking about like, do I have an eating disorder or would it be helpful to work with a dietitian? So, um, 
in terms of, you know, do I have an eating disorder or not? I think that's a very normal question to go through a person's mind um, if they're struggling with food and their body and things like that. You know, I also think it's a question that, you know, the eating disorder uses to keep people sick, you know, because mm. eating disorders are characterized by denial and questioning and comparison, like, oh, I don't do X, Y, Z, or my life's not like so-and-so's, I, you know, I'm totally fine. I must not have a problem. Um, and so if that's you, you know, one of my mentors in the field, she's actually in our Nashville community, um, Reba Sloan, she's yeah. um, she's the best. Um, but we've talked before, you know, about how some clients are, you know, gung-ho and they're like, I have an eating disorder. I need help. And, you know, that's great when people are in that place. And a lot of times mm-hmm. people aren't in that place. They're just kind of yeah. like, eh, there's something going on with food. And I love this phrase that Reba uses. It's just like chaos in the brain. You know, if there's chaos mm-hmm. in the brain, then you deserve freedom. Um, so I just want to say that, you know, if there's anyone listening who's in that place. So in terms of the dietitian's role, so dietitians cannot diagnose eating disorders, so they can't give you an official, um, ICD nine, 10, whatever that is diagnosis. Yeah. So yeah, I don't even know. Cause I don't know. <laughs> um, yeah. so that's not our role. Our role can absolutely though be to, um, help with early, early detection, um, an intervention. So a lot of times, you know, I'll have a client come to me and they have really, you know, maybe rigid attitudes and beliefs about food, um, or their food, their diet and their food intake is really interfering with social life, or they feel really in distress about what they're eating or not eating or X, Y, Z. And so any of those warning signs if they're not already seeing a therapist that, you know, one of the dietitian's roles is to, you know, just acknowledge that multidisciplinary treatment is best practice for eating disorders. And so if you suspect any sort of disordered eating, eating disorder, even if you're not sure, but the client is presenting with symptoms, you know, that kind of align with maybe some anxiety or depression or something else, it's our role really to refer them immediately to a therapist. Sometimes it takes time for people to schedule and, you know, there's financial, there's real financial barriers and things like that. So I think, you know, that's kind of one of the biggest things in terms of early detection. And then once you kind of have a team together, you know, the new, the nutrition therapist, the dietitian's role, you know, is a couple of things. I think the first is, you know, nutritional adequacy, making sure that we are getting enough to eat throughout the day um, variety, making sure that we are not just sticking to five safe foods or mm-hmm. even 10, 10 not enough, you know? So really mm-hmm. trying to make sure that we get in that variety for the mental, the mental and emotional health piece, and also the nutritional piece. Um, our bodies, you know, our bodies do like variety and, you know, a lot of my clients with gut issues, even or IBS, their, you know, their gut microbiome is deprived of nutrients when it doesn't get that variety. So incorporating that too. And then for clients with eating disorders, really working on decreasing and then ultimately helping them eliminate those behaviors. Um, So a lot of that, you know, too, if you're, if you're a treatment member on the eating disorder recovery team is a lot of, you know, cheerleading, a lot of like validating about how hard the process is and, you know, thinking through whether it's like, hey, do you have book recommendations or podcast recommendations or, 
what do you think about xyz or this feels so hard like oh my god yes it is so really just um you know being being a member of the team and advocate for your client you know if a therapist says yeah therapy is going great and i'm like okay great well they're still you know they're not eating or they're not doing ah. you know so really being an advocate because sometimes the eating disorder is so strong it's hard for a client to advocate for themselves so really you know that's kind of the role in terms of helping the client um in their journey and then also functioning as a member of an interdisciplinary team. Yeah. And, and do you find when clients come to you and maybe this is their first time seeking out support and help in their recovery journey that maybe at first it gets like harder or their eating disorder gets louder before it gets better? Yeah. Yeah. So often it gets worse before it Mm -hmm. gets better. And I think for clients and for parents and loved ones, that can be really scary and Mm -hmm. frustrating and confusing. Like, wait, what, what is, what is going on? You know, that's so normal, you know, an eating disorder is a way to cope. It's comfortable for many people. It's been their friend or companion for many, many years. And so when we start to um, disrupt that relationship or take some mm-hmm. of those things away. It can be so, so, so emotionally distressing, which on the outside makes it look like things are getting worse when, you know, in reality, you kind of have to rip off that bandaid in order to fully heal. So, yeah. Yeah. Which can be so hard. Cause like you said, when their eating disorder has been such a source of comfort, safety, especially depending on, you know, what, the root that lies beneath their eating disorder developing because there's often so much more even though a lot of people may just think and and I think you touched on this earlier about like it's not like people just choose to have an eating disorder for the heck of it like there's so much more to it um what would you say because I feel like this is something I hear a lot from clients and maybe even more so when I have people reach out to me like on discovery calls about working together, I hear a lot from people like, well, do you think this is possible for me? Like, do you think that I can recover? Like almost people that feel too far gone. And I think a lot of it is with food in terms of like, I just can't imagine eating, you know, X, Y, Z foods. I can't imagine walking away from this. Um, What are ways you kind of support them there? Yeah, yeah. So I think, you know, in terms of, you know, recovery in general, and the Academy of Nutrition and Dietetics actually just came out with a new, um, it's like a practice guidelines paper for clinicians, but in the in the abstract, it says full recovery is possible. Not that because Mm -hmm. they say it, that means it, but yeah, yeah. there's more and more clinicians that are really, um, really, you know, taking grasp of that, um, just in terms of that full recovery is possible. Of course, um, you know, there are systemic barriers, you know, that need to be addressed in terms of recovery and access and um, in finances and detection and all of that stuff in, in research, like when most of our research and eating disorder treatment is on adolescents who are severely underweight white and have anorexia like that's not great you know so yeah there's there's so much in terms of 
you know, all of the work that the field needs to do in terms of defining full recovery and all of those things. But, you know, when a person asks me, you know, about full recovery, or I can't even imagine, you know, doing X, Y, Z, a lot of what I like to do with my clients is just to, you know, break it down into really incremental, small steps. You know, some clients, I have them kind of start on a meal plan that's a lot more than they're eating and they kind of jump right in and it's great and whatever. But a lot of my clients, it's like, we don't even need to start there. We need to say like, okay, what are two things maybe that we can try to work on? What are two things that we could add? You know, so starting really small and making those small changes. And a lot of the nutrition therapy side is really exposure response prevention therapy. So exposure to the fear foods or exposure to an experience where you're not using the eating disorder behaviors, whether it's restricting, binging, purging, compulsive exercise, and the response. So the exposure is exposure to some sort of triggering event or um, a situation where you would normally use the behaviors. And then the response prevention is not using those behaviors. So um, ERP works really well. And over time, you know, those, those different situations get so much easier. Um, and a lot of my clients too, they'll come to me and, you know, ask about, yeah, if, if this is going to work or, but they haven't necessarily had the proper treatment. Like they haven't worked with a dietitian and a therapist, or they haven't really tried to do X, Y, Z before. And so I think, especially in those cases, like, absolutely. Um, I was talking to Mimi Cole on her podcast the other day, and we were just talking about this and how, you know, it's something that I wrestle with often. Like, I absolutely believe in full recovery, like 1000%. And some people still don't recover. And so like, Mm -hmm. why is that? And I think that's just you know, I think that's just a part of, you know, the brokenness in this world, like, Mm. you know, even like with, um, like a physical illness, like there's so many cures and treatments for so many, like chronic physical diseases, and yet some people still don't get better. And so, Mm. you know, I think that that is something that I wrestle with and hate. And, you know, that's, that's another reason why, you know, there's always research coming out, and we always need to be learning as practitioners. And, you know, I always really try to hold out hope for all of my clients because sometimes if I don't, you know, no one else is, you know, maybe yes. their therapist, but if their team is not, sometimes it's hard, hard for them, especially if they have been battling for years and years and years. Um, so that was a very long, no, that's so good. <laughs> and cause I think being your clients, like biggest cheerleader can be so important. Cause what I see so many times is maybe the clients haven't opened up to like friends or family. So they feel like they're suffering Mm -hmm. alone and their dietitian, their therapist, or maybe the only two people that they're able to talk to about this like huge struggle that they're facing that they kind of silently suffer with. And I find a lot of times with clients too, like when they themselves don't believe like, they will recover having someone who's like, I am believing this for you. And like, I'm here, we're gonna, we're gonna get you there can be so powerful too. Um, And I mean, obviously, I think some of it too, which is really hard is knowing like, we can't, you know, it's not like I can be with my clients 24 seven, like do this, do this, do this, like, we can only do so much as providers, which can be hard, because obviously, 
we're in like a very caring, compassionate field for a reason. Like we want to help everyone <laughs> recover from eating disorders. Um, something I was thinking of kind of when we were talking about just when you were mentioning like meal plans and food and challenging and even like ERP is I see with a lot of clients this, I can't remember if the book came out last year or when it did um, the book sick enough where there's which I think was really helpful because I hear so often with clients and just in general of like, well, I don't know if I'm sick enough or like I'm only eating these certain foods, but you know, I'm still functioning. Okay. Like air quotes or, you know, can't I just maintain this forever? Um, and I think that's where a lot I see us as like dietitians can come in and kind of educate them on like, here's why your body needs X, Y, Z. Um, but yeah, so that being said, I would love for you to kind of just speak to like why being adequately nourished is important and like why our role as dietitians, like why we do what we do. Cause I think sometimes we, even in eating disorder recovery can kind of feel like the bad guys of like, let's challenge all these fear foods and let's increase your portions and do this and do that. And you know, it's not always fun. <laughs> so yeah, I would love for you to speak to that. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, when a person is not getting enough food, whether they have lost weight, they have not lost weight, you know, you can be malnourished at any weight at any size with, with or without weight loss. Um, so when a person is malnourished, um, it just makes life a lot harder. You know, it's very common for a person to become preoccupied with food. That can be a sign of hunger. It's, you know, very common for a person to have skewed hunger and fullness cues for a person to, um, yeah, if they're malnourished and they're not eating a lot in the day, it can be normal to have binge eating episodes maybe in the evening or in the afternoon that biological drive to find food and find it fast kicks in. Um, you know, it can absolutely impair digestion, um, can lead to gas, bloating, diarrhea, constipation, just like a bacterial imbalance in your microbiome. You know, there's, there's so many things that, that can result, you know, from malnutrition alone. Um, one thing's common for a lot of my clients is their hair will start falling out. And that will be something that will really prompt people to seek help. You know, they're like, oh, this isn't a big deal. And then their hair starts falling out and they're like, okay, yes, this is a big deal. Um, Or brittle nails, you know, things like that. Um, So that, you know, they're, you know, absolutely. And there were tons and tons more of, you know, physical consequences. And I think, you know, just the mental and emotional piece to really, you know, being preoccupied with food or, not being able to concentrate, um, you know, so much guilt and shame about food that, you know, that's one of the biggest things as well. And when your brain is malnourished, you're more likely to experience those things and be preoccupied with food and to a malnourished brain, your brain is not getting the energy and nutrients that it needs to effectively process and regulate emotions. So things like anxiety, depression, you know, other comorbid mental health disorders, you know, maybe the eating disorder might temporarily help with those things because it might numb it out or take the edge off or whatever. But overall, you know, it just makes it worse because you're not able to 
you know, regulate your emotions in a healthy way because you don't have the fuel to do that. So that's something that I often talk with my clients about as well. Mm, Yeah, that's so good. Because it really, I mean, and it even kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier about the chaos in your brain. And if we're underfeeding our body, we're not really even able to navigate or like regulate our thoughts as well. And so we continue to have all that like swirling chaos in our brain for sure. Yeah. Um, so what, like if there was, which is, I'm like even trying to think how I would answer this. If there was like one piece of advice you could give to someone listening who let's say they're kind of in that stage of like, I think I need to get help. I don't know. I'm scared. Kind of all the emotions. Um, what is like one piece of advice you'd give to them? Hmm. Yeah, I would say, you know, the hardest part can be reaching out, you know, sending an email or, you know, calling, calling a practitioner and saying, hey, you know, something something might be going on or confiding, you know, in a friend or a family member about what's going on. And I would really just, you know, just remind your listeners, um, you don't have to meet any sort of diagnostic criteria to seek help. Um, You don't have to have lost weight. You don't have to have abnormal lab values. Um, It's actually very common for people with eating disorders to have an above or normal weight. I'm using air quotes right now (laughs) of BMI. Um, It's normal to have not lost weight. It's normal to have labs that are all within normal limits. So If any of that is holding you back, um, please, please don't let it, you know, eating disorders are super, super serious. Um, They are impairing, you know, physically, emotionally, they are life threatening. And so I also think too, even if you're like, oh, this isn't that bad, you know, they tend to get worse. And so, you know, why not? Even even if let's say, you know, the worst thing that could happen is you could go in for an appointment and the dietitian or therapist says, yep, every, yeah, I think you're actually, you have a really healthy relationship with food. (laughs) If in your gut, you feel like it's not, then it's not, you know, you can trust Mm -hmm. your gut. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Oh, that's so good. Um, so switching gears, a question I like to always ask guests on, on here is to hear what a favorite food memory is. Um, because I think one thing, and I know you probably would say the same as dietitians and even working in the field of eating disorders is I really want people to kind of have a repaired relationship with food and be able to see the joy in food again. Um, and I think it's fun just to hear kind of a favorite food memory. So it could be a recipe that you make a food that you always had growing up a restaurant you love. Um, yeah. What is a favorite food memory that you have? Yeah, I think what comes to my mind, I mean, I had, I had a lot of great food memories in childhood. I love food and we, we cooked good food, but what's actually coming to mind right now is I remember the first time in my own recovery when I went and had a burger and a milkshake with my now husband. Um, I was just like, I just hadn't had one in a while, you know, from a restaurant. And Mm -hmm. I remember like, I was so 
happy. Like there were some thoughts, of course, you know, some thoughts coming out, but I was just like, Oh my God, this food tastes so good. This is actually really nourishing for my body. What, what the heck? Like I got to keep doing this. So that was just such a special evening and date night. So that, that's kind of what comes. Yes. And I think it goes Uh, along with just repairing your relationship with food. mm -hmm. Uh, Burgers and milkshakes. It's like the perfect combo. Seriously. So good. Oh my gosh. Yes. So good. <laughs> oh. um, well, thank you so much, Emily. This was so great. And I know a lot of people will take a lot away from this conversation and just all of your wisdom and knowledge in the realm of eating disorders. So for people listening, where can they find you if they want to follow along with you on Instagram? Or I know you have a website as well. Yeah. So on Instagram, um, my Instagram handle is at Murray nutrition M U R R A Y and then nutrition. And then my website is just www.murraynutritionco.com. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again. Thanks. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to our show. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Food Freedom Podcast. Make sure you're following us on Instagram at Free Method Nutrition for more inspiring content on food freedom, intuitive eating, body respect, and many other things. If you're curious how you can support our podcast and help it to reach more people like you, we would love if you would take a minute to rate and review the show. We drop new episodes every Tuesday, so make sure you subscribe so you always catch our latest conversations. See you next episode.